Welcome to Then and Now, brought to you by the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy. We are dedicated to studying change in order to make change, linking knowledge of the past to the quest for a better future. Every week, we interview thought leaders, historians, researchers, and policymakers about what happened then and what that means for us now. Welcome to Then and Now, a podcast sponsored by the Luskin Center for History and Policy at UCLA. My name is Maya Ferdman. I'm the program manager for the Luskin Center. The goal of the center is to bring the past into conversation with the present, and in doing so, to understand how we got where we are so that we can imagine alternative and better futures. Our guest this week is Bambi Salcedo, a prominent and internationally recognized advocate, community organizer, and founder of the Translatina Coalition in Los Angeles. Bambi's wide-ranging activist work has brought voice and visibility not only to the trans community, but also to the multiple overlapping communities and issues that her life has touched, including migration, HIV-AIDS, youth, LGBT rights, incarceration, and Latinx communities. Through her leadership, she has founded several organizations that created community where there was none and advocated for the rights, dignity, and humanity of those who have been without a voice. Welcome to you, Bambi. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be here with you and shout out to all the beautiful and amazing listeners who are joining us today. Wonderful. Great. So every June, communities in LA and also across the world celebrate LGBTQ Pride Month, which began in commemoration of the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in Manhattan. This year's Pride Month is historic. For starters, it marked the 50th anniversary of the Pride Parade and Festival in West Hollywood, but it also took place in the midst of the coronavirus pandemic and a wave of Black Lives Matter protests across the world. On June 14th, a newly formed group of Black LGBTQ leaders organized an all-Black Lives Matter march in solidarity with the national movement against police brutality and protesting the killing of Tony McDade, a Black trans man shot by police in Tallahassee. Given this historic moment, it's important to look backwards at Pride's origins, both as a protest movement against police brutality and as an intersectional fight for LGBTQ rights. So with that bit of introduction, I want to ask you, Bambi, what can you tell us about the origin of Pride? And maybe maybe can you share with us some of the important details or places or people that we need to know about in order to really understand its history? Yeah, um, well, that is definitely a deep question. Right, Um, But I think, you know, what is important to understand and know about the history of the gay liberation movement, right? Uh, One, that, you know, the uprising and the the gay liberation movement really started uh, because of the police brutality that um, trans, people, trans women specifically, and queer people were experiencing in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, although, you know, there's obviously uh, historical recollections that speak about the involvement of trans people of color and that uprising, right? Um, but unfortunately, the trans community and particularly trans community of color, trans women of color, um, didn't necessarily move along with the 
gay liberation movement that started at that time, right? Um, we were ostracized and we really were pushed to the side. Um, and obviously, you know, there, you know, historical figures um, that have been now, all, you know, just recently, the last, I'm gonna say the last few years, that their names have been really said and their, their stories have been highlighted and even, um, you know, footage about, you know, Sylvia Rivera, for instance, or Marsha P. Johnson. Uh, and we're very lucky that Ms. Major uh, still here with us, right, who uh, participated in the Stonewall riots. Um, mm -hmm. And so, but I think, you know, what, what is important, I think, that the listeners really do understand is that if we compare where we, where the gay and lesbian movement is now, right, versus the trans movement or the livelihood of trans people within our society, right? We are about 40 years behind, legislatively, academically, economically, and, you know, and that's really unfortunate, right? Um, there has been, you know, multiple occasions uh, in which has highlighted, you know, how trans people had been pushed to the side uh, and not necessarily advanced with the, with the gay movement, unfortunately. Um, Can you tell me, like, when it's, as you said, we're now just uh, names like Marsha Johnson and Silvia Rivera are starting to become more popularized, but it sounds like what you're saying is that over time, um, even though this movement began with trans women of color at the forefront, their voices and um, and needs have been uh, lagged behind while other while the needs of the gay and lesbian community or the progress has has jumped ahead. And so maybe could you tell me a little bit more what was that what was that involvement in the beginning? And then when did that happen that 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 break started? Um, when when trans women of color in particular started to be excluded from that movement? I mean, you know, I, again, because of the violence that trans women were experiencing um, at that time, right? And their historical recollections of different places where police brutality um, took place and there were you know, different riots that took place even before Stonewall in New York, right? I mean, there were um, uprisings that took place in LA. There were uprisings that took place in San Francisco, at the um, Hampton Cafeteria. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, but, but the truth is that, uh, you know, it was in New York when, you know, I guess it was more publicized, if you will, um, mm -hmm. but trans women specifically have been, um, brutalized by the police. And so it was trans women along with, you know, other streets, um, well, I, I mean, I, I guess I'll, I'll have to say hookers, right, um, that were on the streets, uh, that say like enough is enough. And so 
that's how it all started. Uh, and again, even though we didn't necessarily have language there then about you know trans people, right? Um, we knew that there was it was trans women who who resisted the continuous police violence that they were experiencing. Um, mm -hmm. And so, so yeah, I mean, that's that's really how it all began, right? It was uh, it was trans women who who really say like enough is enough, right? But I think also uh, you bring a really good point because you know trans women have actually been at the forefront, not just of the gay liberation movement back then, but we have been part of multiple movements, right? Mm -hmm. But the recurring issue has always been the same. Even within the so-called social justice movements or civil rights movements, right? Trans women and trans people have been excluded and being, you know, and being recognized for the contributions that we bring to all of those movements. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's sort of that I know that today the, the notion of trans visibility is really important also for that reason. It's sort of a way to make sure that, that those, those contributions are seen and those um, and honored for what they are um, rather than excluded as they have been historically. I'd be curious to hear from you. What are, I mean, was when you talked about people, it was trans women in back in the day who said enough is enough. Was that an organized movement? movement? Was that um, spontaneous sort of uh, uprising or um, were there key figures in that that we want to highlight? Well, I mean, the truth is, you know, when all of this, happened back then, right? There wasn't an organized effort. I mm -hmm. think the organization um, of the movement came a little later. Like really it was on that particular night when trans women and, you know, people who were there at the stall one and that really resisted right to the oppression uh, and the violence that the uh, the police were portraying against them um, but we know now that you know Silvia Rivera again and Marsha P. Johnson and um, and even Miss uh, Major were there really mm -hmm. fighting and uh, really resisting against the police um, mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, after the movement started getting organized, right? Like they, again, trans women were ostracized and pushed to the side. And then there were individuals, particularly uh, white gay men who, you know, who started organizing and started, um, you know, mobilizing and, and really resisting, right? Um, which was great, but then, you know, in the in the eighties, you know, or you know, late seventies, uh, early eighties, that was when also AIDS, um, the AIDS epidemic hit um, the LGBTQ community, and so then they also organized 
like in a different way too, right? So, so I think the gay liberation movement has had um, several phases, if you will, um, but trans women have always been part of those movements as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And how would you say that, you know, it sounds like there wasn't necessarily until more recently an attention paid to intersectionality um, in this, that you talked about the civil rights movement and trans women playing a role and trans women of color playing a role. Where, at what point in in history do you think um even a, an idea or an, a recognition of intersectionality came into the conversation? Well, I mean, I think um, intersectionality is sort of like a, um, a term that is rather new, if you will, right? Um, it probably has been around for the last few years, um, mm-hmm. but it's also an academic term, right? Yeah. Um, In our experience, for instance, you know, like I can speak on my own personal experience, right? So I am a trans Latina woman who is an immigrant, who is undocumented, you know, so like all of these things, right, is I bring I bring with myself everywhere I go, for instance, right? So it's like the different experiences and the different, um, yeah, intersections, right? That my life uh, or, or that I live, for instance, right? Um, and so, so that, you know, like it, it's really being recognized as of lately, um, but it's something that, you know, it's, primarily known like in the academic world, um, members of that community don't necessarily understand, you know, terms like that per se. Mm-hmm. But instead maybe, yeah, you're right, that it, it was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw um, in, in with an academic context of, uh, that we have to have spaces that acknowledge the different intersections of our identity and how that might, um, change people's experiences, but we have to be able to recognize what that intersection, how that intersection might change somebody's experience in the world or in society. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that it's an academic term, but that people live this intersectional life that you talked about yourself. You have all of these different um, identities, but they are all one in you, right? Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'd be curious, you know, why don't you actually, why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your personal history? How did you come into the world of um, activism? How did you come into this understanding of your own intersectional identity? Um, well, I guess, you know, the first thing that I would say is that I am a very privileged trans Latina immigrant woman, right? Who today has the ability to have a roof over my head that has, you know, that I have a great job that I that I love and I cherish. Um, but, you know, unfortunately that's not the same for many members of my community, even in 2020, right? Um, and, you know, you read in my bio, you know, about 
youth, right? Um, like the importance or how dear it is for me to specifically support young people. Um, I was obviously young once, right? Um, when I first got to Los Angeles, um, the mid eighties, um, I, you know, I started my transition and um, because of who I am and because of the lack of resources, um, I had to engage in the street economy, right? I had to consume drugs for me to be able to uh, to cope with everything that was going around me. Um, and as a result of the circumstances that I was experiencing, but that the system has pushed me to, um, I was also uh, arrested and incarcerated uh, for about, you know, I, I was incarcerated and going in and out of prison for about 14 years of my life. Um, and then, you know, through that, obviously, you know, a multiplicity of experiences, horrible experiences that I, that I encounter, you know, I was brutally and sexually, sexually assaulted not just on the streets, but also in prison and in jail. Um, I have been multiple times assaulted also in prison and on the streets and in jail. Um, you know, and I mean, I have had guns pointed to my head. I've, um, I mean, I, I would say that any and every experience that anyone can think of, I have probably survived it. You know, um, and so for me, um, the fact that I am one of the chosen few who have had the opportunity to not just reform my life, but really overturn and, um, yeah, overturn those horrible experiences into opportunities. Uh, I feel that it's also my responsibility to, because I do have the, that privilege that I hold to to do something, right? Um, to do something to not just uplift and speak for those who are not able to speak, but really uplift as voices and experiences of my community. Um, and so because of that and because um, my privilege, you know, I, and because of the responsibility that I hold, right? That it's to me, it's something that is always present to me because it's something that obviously it's it's part of my commitment to my community. Mm. Um, so through that, that's how the Trans Latino Coalition came to be. And, you know, um, I also had had the opportunity to create different programs to support other, you know, like young trans individuals um, like the Angels of Change program, for instance. Um, but yeah, but right now, um, you know, the Trans Latino Coalition, we are the very first trans-led organization here in Los Angeles that is providing direct and supportive services and life-saving services to our community. Mm. Um, 
you know, including food and um, just multiple services that we provide here. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's wonderful. When when was it founded? When did you found it? Um, the Trans Latino Coalition started in two thousand and nine, um, and we started really thinking about this, you know, broader aspect about how can we influence and change the structures that continue to marginalize our community. Mm-hmm. Um, we started, you know, really addressing the specific needs and issues of trans Latina immigrant women at that time because um, there was not a national organization that was speaking about our specific needs and issues. And that's how we started. And we did like really amazing work for a few years. Um, and that's what we're trying to organize and mobilize people across the country and the different states and cities where we have representation. Uh, we we were seeing also that the very people who we were trying to organize were not having access to basic needs. And so our national group decided that in order for us to address that need, that we also needed to move into doing service provision. Mm-hmm. So we now, you know, as an organization, hold two arms. One is the macro level work that we're doing, but also the more direct and individual work that we're doing through a service provision uh, through the Center for Violence Prevention and Transgender Wellness. Mm, that's wonderful. So being able to first address those basic human needs, you know, food, housing, things like that, and then also being able to organize to elevate the community as a whole. Right, because we're not able to empower individuals if they don't have, you know, their basic needs met, right? Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to to empower ourselves and, and really build the infrastructure that our community needs if those members of that community don't have those basic and very much needed services. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And you said, you know, you started by saying that um, the transgender, the rights for the transgender community are something like 40 years behind uh, gay and lesbian rights and liberation movement. Can you say more about what are some of the ways that you see that? What In what way, in, you know, talking about the now portion of our podcast, how do you see that history playing out today? And how, in what specific ways are you, through the Trans Latina Coalition or your other work, trying to address those gaps? Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, um, a couple of examples that I could do in terms of the difference, you know, in the position that we hold as a community in 2020. Uh, So, you know, there's studies that say that trans people are the most poor than any other population, right? Um, Like, um, you know, there's studies that said that trans people make about $10,000 a year, right? Um, There's not many executives who are trans, right? I I do have the privilege to be, you know, the president and the CEO of an organization, but if we just, you know, do a mental recollection, right? How many of us do hold those positions? And those of us who are holding those positions are not part of the you know, 
let's say, are the, the Force 500 companies, right? Or even within, you know, Gay Inc., right? Um, we don't have leadership positions where, with organizations, with businesses, you know, that are owned even by gay people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I recently received my master's degree in Latino studies, um, and I was asking around, uh, you know, to not just my staff, but just uh, people, you know, clients that come here and stuff. And I asked them, like, how many trans Latinas you know that have a master's degree? And um, they were able to name just three and one left Los Angeles, you know? Um, so I don't know how many trans Latinas, you know, hold a master's degree, for instance, right? Or, you know, even further, right? Like how many trans people do actually hold a master's degree, right? Or even a bachelor's degree. Um, so, I mean, this, those are just like perfect examples that I can give you in terms of comparison, right? Um, they are obviously multi-million, you know, gay and lesbian people um, who it's amazing and, you know, donate, you know, large sums of money to, um, to large LGBTQ organizations that um, often don't necessarily have trans programming. Um, and even then, you know, again, trans people don't hold leadership, leadership positions in, in many of those organizations. And so, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's a comparison that I can tell you. Um, another another comparison, you know, that I that I can mention is, you know, I mentioned that the Trans Latino Coalition is the first trans-led organization here, providing direct supportive services. Right? I mean, there are other trans-led groups here in Los Angeles, um, but they don't necessarily they don't actually do direct supportive services. Um, you know, and so like even across the state of California, right? Or even across the nation, there are not very many trans-led groups or organizations. And those that are popping up, because there's a lot of trans-led groups that are popping up um, because, you know, trans people are coming into our power, right? But unfortunately, those translate groups or organizations, the majority of them don't have the infrastructure that we need in order for us to um, to continue to evolve, right? Uh, mm -hmm. One, many of us don't necessarily have connections, for instance, to private foundations, right? And we don't have access. We don't have access to money. And we know that money is power. So yeah, so like until we gain both economic and political power, then we're not going to be able to create many changes for trans people specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you just named a lot of a lot of gaps, a lot of very real gaps in wealth, in leadership, in the connections. 
um, that are needed. How do you see, you know, you also mentioned that trans people are coming into their power and, um, and that there's a lot of new groups starting to pop up, that maybe there's some movement. So I'm wondering, can you tell me or tell us, um, where is, where do you see the progress happening the most? Um, where do you see the most progress and, and where do you see like the next front for, for the fight for rights? Um, what do you think is the first step in order to start filling some of those gaps? Where do I see the fill? Do me a favor, ask me the question again. I, I want to, I want to ask the question properly. Sure. Well, so first, where do you see the most progress happening, um, given all these gaps? And second, where should the progress happen? Where? What are the major places that that we that people should fight for um, in order to elevate the trans community? Yeah, I mean, I am definitely not going to negate that there has been some progress done, right? Um, there is definitely more visibility about trans people. Um, and although, you know, trans people have always existed and been here, right? Uh, it just, mm-hmm. it has been, you know, the systemic and racist system that we have within our society that has always tried to erase our existence, right? Um, so, so yeah, there's you know definitely um, some gains that um, the trans community have accomplished um, in the last few years. But you know, let me give you an example about also some of the gaps that need to be completely filled. Mm-hmm. In March 30th of 2020, an organization that is called Funders for LGBTQ Issues release a report um, that it's called, um, oh, it's, I'm sorry, it's the tracking report. Um, so every five years, you know, Funders for LGBTQ Issues released this report in which, you know, highlights the money that has been given for LGBTQ organizations, right? Um, And in this report, so five years ago, um, they released this report in which stated that one penny of every $100 was given to trans programming. Five years ago, there wasn't many trans-led organizations, even though we were in existence as an organization, the Trans-Latina Coalition, we were not getting any funding because, you know, we we were just a volunteer-run organization and we were just, you know, it was a very grassrootsy uh, organization, right? Like doing really radical work. Amazing. And this year in 2020, they released the tracking report in which it says that they are in which it says that four cents out of every $100 are distributed directly to trans-led organizations. Mm-hmm. Great. So trans-led organizations are named in this report, but the disparity on equity, it's substantial. And so if we are 
talking about the importance of investing in trans lives, right? Like there cannot be an inequity such as that, mm-hmm. right? There has to be, I'm going to say that trans-led organizations need to receive at least 20% of the whole, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's equity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, so that's one of the gaps that need to be filled. Um, another thing that I think is also important to recognize is that, you know, although we we are, many of us are in the media, for instance, right? There are movies, there are, you know, Laverne Cox was in Time Magazine a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. You know, more and more people are, you know, just on, in the eye of the media, mainstream media, right? Um, that is great. But I think also with that, violence against a trans woman of color has increased and nobody, and primarily tr- black trans women, right? Black and Latina are the most impacted and the, the ones who experience the most extreme violence. And, you know, like an example that I could give you, a um, couple of years ago, here in Los Angeles, Vicky Gutierrez was brutally murdered. She was stabbed and burned alive, mm-hmm. right? And that was that. But people are not uprising to, you know, to support the betterment of the livelihood of trans women specifically mm-hmm. and trans people or the trans community or the trans movement, however you want to call it, right? So, so that needs to happen. People really need to understand that the lives of trans people also matter. And what would you make of, you know, given we're in this moment of sort of a, a global reckoning in that is historic in many ways with anti-black racism how what would you make and how do you think trans lives and and like you said trans women of color in particular can also be recognized in this moment and um do you think it's happening i mean we had this all black lives matter uh protest just was it last week or a week and a half ago or so um is this an opportunity um, or do you think this is more of the same? Well, I think what we're also saying is, right, um, that, you know, and I mentioned earlier, right, like trans women have been part of the multiple movements, right, but we are never acknowledged or recognized, right? And so right around the same time that uh, George Floyd was murdered, um, a couple of days after, uh, Tugney McDade from... Uh, in um, Tallahassee, Florida, was also murdered by the police. Mm-hmm. Tony McDade is a black trans man, and people were not responding the same way they were responding to George Floyd, right? So that's that's why um, the people decided to organize the All Black Lives Matter here, and yeah. that was that is also why. Uh, you know, there was a huge march in Brooklyn on this 
right on the same day, I believe on the same weekend, um, to really, you know, advocate and claim the the black love, the black trans lives matter, right? So that is, you know, that's a continuous thing. So, you know, you 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 asked me the previous question was like, what are some of the gaps, right? So there are some gaps, even the, within the multiple movements, right? But I think, you know, everybody talks about, you know, um, unity and collective liberation and all of these terms that people just say them just to say them. Don't necessarily understand or maybe not want to understand what those terms mean, right? And the truth is that, you know, if if we are talking about dismantling the racist and systemic violence that our communities experience, right? It's gonna it's gonna take a collective power. And you know, like again, people people normally or usually talk about you know, liberation, right? But I don't, I honestly don't think people know what that means, you know? And so if we are talking about liberation, right? I mean, multiple authors and multiple, you know, figures and recognized individuals have said that, you know, there's no liberation for all of us if not all of us are included, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so people forget that. People forget that, you know, the trans people need to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, you know, it is true that, you know, trans people are coming into our power and we are organizing and we're strategizing, you know, to advocate for our own rights, right? But if people don't support what we are doing, if people don't understand the position that we hold in 2020 and mm-hmm. the time that it's going to take us for us to to get better quality of life, then it's going to take us longer. And the system that people want to dismantle is not going to be dismantled either as quicker as possible, as quicker as they think, right? Yeah, because the truth is that okay, people are coming to the streets and that's great, but the work still continues. You're going to see, and, you know, it happens, right? People go to the streets, you know, a few days, whatever, a month, two months maybe, I don't know. But then that's it. Everything is going to go back to the way it was. Maybe there's going to be a couple of changes, you know, people are talking about defunding the police, which we should. So there's going to be something that is going to happen there. But, you know, if we're talking about dismantling the racist and oppressive system that we have and that has been constructed for centuries, then we need to all come together and make sure that we do that. I'll, I want to ask you one more question on that note um, about coming together. And, you know, as we're, we're about to near the end of this year's Pride Month, um, but at, like you said, the work continues. 
So as we're coming to a close, where do you find hope for the future? And what do you learn from the past? Well, the hope that I hold, I truly hold it on the beautiful, amazing, and resilient young people that are learning to be true to themselves, that are unapologetic about who they are, and they are, you know, um, really claiming their space within our society. Mm. And so they, they're, to me, they're my, my hope for the future. And so what I know for sure is that the trans community and trans people mm-hmm. have always existed despite the fact that racist and oppressive systems have been created to erase us or eliminate our existence. You know, we are still here and we are still thriving. I think the trans community right now is on thriving mode. Mm-hmm. Right now, 2020, we're not just in survival mode. We are thriving, we are organizing, we are strategizing, and we're building community alliances, mm-hmm. right? That will help us get to where we need to be for us to be a healthy, bright, and beautiful community. Well, that's a great place to close. Bambi, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, And once again, shout out to the listeners who stuck out with us. And uh, thank you for joining us as well. Then and Now is a production of the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy with support from the UCLA History Department. It can be found wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you to our director, David Myers, and our guest today, Bambi Salcedo, for joining us. Let us know your thoughts on this or other episodes of Then and Now by emailing us at luskincenter, L-U-S-K-I-N center, at history.ucla.edu. Thank you so much and see you next time. Thank you for joining us this week on Then and Now. Then and Now is brought to you by the UCLA Luskin Center for History and Policy, where we study change to make change. For more on our work, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at our handle, at Luskin History. Our show is produced by Maya Ferdman and David Myers, with original music by Daniel Reichman. Special thanks to the UCLA History Department for its support, and thanks to you for listening.